This morning, what I want to do is I want to continue our Kingdom Manifesto series. We've been in the Sermon on the Mount looking at these 2,000 words that Jesus shared with us, starting in Matthew 5 through Matthew 7, 100 verses in three full chapters. We're going word by word, word for word, and dissecting what is Jesus asking us to do? And really, how is he asking us to build our lives? Because when we build our lives God's way, when the storms and wind of life come, we're able to hold on to that solid foundation that we have in Jesus. And so I want to define manifesto, and then I want to read Matthew 7, 24, which really succinctly summarizes the Sermon on the Mount. So a manifesto is a written statement declaring publicly the intentions, motives, or views of its issuer. So Jesus is giving us his kingdom manifesto, teaching us how to build our lives his way, and in Matthew 7, 24, this is at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he says that everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. We'll talk about that in a few weeks, the difference between building our lives on the foundation, which is Jesus, and building our lives according to how, well, we want to build our lives in the difference. There is a difference. And so this morning, well, every week we've asked three questions. We've asked, God, what do you want me as I survey my life? What do you want me to change? What is in me and my life that, that, that is you know, going on in my relationships and my personal walk with you and the way that I'm actually walking life out? What is broken? What's not working? And then what's broken? Well, we got a demo just like last week. A lot of us had to survey our homes and our pipes and all this stuff. And then you had to do some demo and tear out because the truth is, that the enemy is, is, is prowling around looking for someone to devour, and we need to see and learn what areas of our life has he sowed these seeds of doubt and confusion. And once we've identified those, then we can tear it out and say, God, that's not of you. That's a hurt. That's, that's confusion. That's something that is not of you. And so we got to demo that out before we do this third thing. That's rebuild some of us are looking to remodel a room, maybe a part of the house, and others of us are looking to a complete rebuild. But thankfully, it's not building on our own strength. It's the Holy Spirit of God that lives within us, that is transforming our lives so that our lives can look more like Jesus. So that's what we're doing Throughout the series in this morning, I want to read nine verses, but it's nine heavy verses, so we'll get started here in a second. And I want to talk about this inside-out life, this way of living that Jesus is calling us to activate. And it's opposite to what the world says. The world says, look good on the outside, fake whatever's on the inside, fake it till you make it, all of that stuff. Jesus is bringing a clear message. He's saying, no, it starts on the inside, and what changes here, what changes in our hearts, will flow out from there. We'll look at a bunch of topics today. We're going to be looking at anger. Aren't you glad you came this morning? And then next week, we'll talk about adultery and marriage and our word, our oaths. And then the following week, we'll look at revenge, and uh, we'll continue on in the Sermon on the Mount. But before we open up the word, let's pray. Father, I thank you for this word. I ask that as we read it, that it would be your words that would convict us, your words that would comfort us, your 
words that would counsel us in the way that we need to build our lives and live this side of heaven. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would remind us of your goodness, and I pray that you would speak to every heart in this room and every heart watching online. I pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. So we're going to start in verse 17. And where we are, we've read first 16 verses of Matthew 5. We looked at the Beatitudes, how God says, blessed are those that are very different than who the world says are blessed. So instead of blessed are the rich, blessed are the powerful, blessed are the privileged, blessed are the broken, blessed are the mourning, blessed are the persecuted. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus is flipping things upside down. And here, starting in verse 17, he starts uh, talking and teaching us how to live our lives inside out. So in verse 17, Jesus says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. So I want to stop here because Jesus is telling us to do two things before we go on to anger. So the first thing that Jesus is telling us is that he came to abolish the law. Not, uh, he, he didn't come to abolish the law. Sorry, he did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. And the second thing that he teaches us is that our righteousness must surpass that of these Pharisees, the religious elite. So let's talk about this first one. Jesus came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. He's talking about the law or the prophets. There is this verse in the Bible that is one of my favorites because I find it's to be, it's, it to be the glue that matches the Old Testament, 39 books of the Old Testament with the 27 books of the New Testament, which makes our entire Bible. And it's Jesus speaking. He is in his resurrected body at the end of his ministry here on earth, right before he goes into heaven. It's in Luke 24, verses 44 and 45. Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he says this. It'll be on your screen. He said, when I was with you before I told you that everything written about me in the law of Moses, in the prophets, and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. So think about that. Think about being a disciple and hearing Jesus say this at the end of his life and actually having your mind open to not only understand everything that Jesus came and did, but everything that has been written in their Bible the Old Testament, these amazing 39 books. Some people say, only read the red letters. Just read the words of Jesus. Everything else is just, you know, tainted with human stuff. Other people say, don't read the Old Testament at all. It's confusing, it's complicated. And you know what? Parts of it really are. You know how you understand the Bible more? You read it. The more that we read it, the more our minds connect the dots and see the beauty that Genesis 1 is all about. Jesus all the way through Revelation, 
all about Jesus. In the Old Testament, we learn that there is a people, a humanity, all humanity that is created in the image of God. But then that creation, instead of following and obeying God, chooses to judge what right and wrong is in their own, by their own terms. So distrusts God, believes the, de- the deception of the enemy, and then goes this way. But God shows us in those 39 books that he's fully committed, that he relentlessly pursues you and me until death. (laughs) He doesn't stop loving us no matter how much we go this way. God continually shows up in our lives in miraculous and undeserving ways. That's the story of the Old Testament. He just zooms in and shows us his character by the way that he loves these people called the Israelites. It's a beautiful story. It starts in Genesis 12 with Abraham, and then it goes all the way through the end of Malachi. That is the story of God's love for his people. And then Jesus came and said, it's for everybody. This is my love, the creator's love for all people. And so Jesus is obviously saying, this ain't no new thing. I am doing a new thing, but the word of God is the word of God. And we need to look at every single chapter and verse because it's all about Jesus. The second thing that he teaches us is that our righteousness must surpass that of the religious elite. There's some good news and some bad news here. Always start with the bad news first. And the bad news is that these guys were really holy. I mean, they were really good at the whole religious thing. Like, I want you to think about who maybe the most religious person is, the holiest person that you know. These guys were like top notch. They got, a, they got the degrees. They had the tassels. They showed their holiness off for all to see. The problem is, is that they leaked. You see, they were about external righteousness. They were about looking the part when inside they were rotten. And they were trying, trying, trying to earn their way to God, but they kept on falling short. And the problem was is that they did not recognize their shortcomings. They were actually holding on to them and saying, God, but look at all that I'm doing for you. And so Jesus now is speaking to a new righteousness. And this righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the religious elite because it is inside out. When we say yes to Jesus, what we are saying is that we have been fully justified by God. It's as God sees us as if we've never sinned, just as I'd never sinned. That is the type of love that God pours out on us when we accept his free gift of salvation. And then what also happens is we get the indwelling of his Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit works inside out. I want to read this quote from a scholar because he puts this beautifully. He says, as the disciple continues to respond obediently to the word of God taught and preached by Jesus and energized by the spirit, the newly transformed heart directs the transformation of the person from the inside to the outside. The heart will of the person in the power, the, the heart will of the person, the power of the indwelling spirit directs the renewing of the mind 
the disciplining of the body, and the purifying of social relations so that the disciple says yes to God with his or her entire soulish person. The disciple bears the fruit of the Spirit in a life given to God that is being transformed to be like Jesus. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus teaches us to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our life, with all of our body, and with all of our soul and with all of our strength. And I wanna show you this concentric circle that shows us the type of righteousness that Jesus is talking about. See, outside we have our relationships. That's what everybody sees, how we treat one another, how we uh, love those around us, how we love our enemies, all of that stuff, super important. Then inside of that is our body, our life, our soul, how we love this vessel that God's given us, this side of heaven. And then inside is our mind. That's even harder to see. Those are our thoughts. And then inside is our heart. In this heart is the wellspring of life. So whatever is in here will spill out into those other things. And so what God is doing is he's zeroing in. He's not wasting any time. And he's saying, I'm calling you to live lives that are inside out. And when we do that, then we are living righteously as God is calling us to live. And so today, the topic that we're gonna look at is anger. Let's all say that together, anger. Oh, come on, let's say it a little louder. Anger, there we go, it's in the room. I knew it would be, it's normal. We feel angry, stuff happens in life and we feel angry. Jesus is speaking to us because he knows that we need his word in this topic. So I wanna read, starting in verse 21, we're continuing Matthew chapter five, verse 21. You have heard, said Jesus, that it was the people, that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. So what Jesus is saying is that Moses, many, many years ago went up on the mountain just like Jesus was on the mountain and he gave a law just like Jesus is preaching to them and he gave them the 10 commandments. Do not murder is the sixth. And so like me, I'm picturing myself or maybe you like me, maybe I'm picturing myself on the mountain listening to Jesus and being like, yes, got the first one, haven't murdered anybody, I'm good. Maybe I'll take a quick little cat nap or something, but this one, whew, trust me, haven't killed anybody, I can, you know, I'm, I'm good. And then, He says, but I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Ouch. That deflates me. And the point of what Jesus is saying here is that anger is at the heart of murder. So if you take care of anger, then you don't have to worry about murder. Speaking to the heart. Verse 22. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Reading on again. Anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. Now, when was the last time you looked at someone and said, Raka? Probably not any time recently, unless you're fluent in Aramaic. If so, let's talk. I have questions. Raka means empty-minded. So I want you to think of your favorite modern translation of empty-minded. Everyone's got their favorite one. All right, now on count of three, we're just gonna air it out and we're just gonna yell out, ready, what? I'm just kidding, don't do it, we're a church. 
Don't do it. We don't want those words running around. But you all have your favorite one. You know which one it is. Empty-minded. <laughs> Maybe that's the new one. You can say, you were empty-minded. Raka. You know, when I get angry, I, I fall on my M.O., which is Spanish. And it helps me because people, if they don't speak Spanish, they don't really know what I'm saying. So they're like, that's a, that is a very passionate person. I'm like, yeah, I'm passionate. I'm also quite angry and I'm hiding it. I'm being like the Pharisees. I'm being about, I'm worrying about my external, but God is dealing with the heart of it. Okay, let's, let's keep on going. So anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. What Jesus is speaking to is when we fall into name calling, when we are insulting and offending others, when we give these names and ascribe them to someone that has wronged us or that has done something, what we're doing is we're calling someone who's created in the image of God, who's called a son and a daughter of the Lord Most High, a name that does not belong to them because Jesus and he alone has the right to give us titles and names. And so name calling takes that away. And we then become the labeler of someone, no matter what they have done. I'll never forget, we were in the uh, gym over here at the school. We had a sixth grade ministry called DJ. We played dodgeball. So we unleashed our anger. And then we talked about Jesus. It was great. And we were talking about this passage. And there was a sixth grade guy who, he was in the clouds. And so, hello, buddy, talking about the word of God, listen. And he's like, you know, I was like, what's going on? And he's like, I, I can't believe it. I've murdered somebody. Jesus is saying that my anger is the same as murder. That kid ministered to me right then and there because he felt it. He was convicted by God. How often do we feel that? When we feel anger, truth is, is not often. And again, what Jesus is doing is he's talking about this root because the root of anger, it becomes a shoot, a shoot and shoots become trees and trees become forest. And the thing about anger is that anger is not a primary emotion. Anger is a secondary emotion a lot of times are angry because of fill in the blank. And so my encouragement for us is, what are those seeds of anger in your heart? Why are they there? And let's allow God to minister to that place so that when anger, which is normal, when stuff goes on, when it creeps up, we give it to God. We're gonna learn how to do that here in just a second. Let's keep on reading verse 23. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Verse 25, settle matters quickly with your adversary who has taken you to court. Do it while you're still together on the way or your adversary may hand you over to the judge and the judge may hand you over to the officer and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. So right there, Jesus is talking about the earthly consequence of our anger. When we allow this world to deal with the consequences of our anger, we will pay every last penny. God's got a greater purpose. 
God's purpose is to save us from that. See, when we say yes to Jesus Christ, when we say, Lord, I believe John 3, 16, which is for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever will believe in him will not perish, but inherit eternal life. We're saying that, yes, I am receiving a gift that I do not deserve. But we're also saying is what verse 17 says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. He's come to save us from the consequences. And at times he can save us from earthly consequences, but praise be to God, he saves us from our eternal consequences. And we can live forever in the presence of God, thanks to the blood of Christ. That's good news. And so this, this anger, there's two types of anger, and then, then we'll close. The first one is human anger. That's that anger that we feel when we have been wronged, when we are disappointed, when we're stressed, when we're overwhelmed, that natural. You see, I know a lot of us felt that last week when the pipes go and the electricity goes out immediately. You just feel anger. Yesterday, my three-year-old, Samuel, he's amazing. Two-year-old, Ezra, they're amazing. Together, they're amazingly passionate, both in the good and in the bad. And yesterday, we were eating lunch, and there was a chip that Samuel, three-year-old, took from Ezra's two-year-old plate, and he just took it and did one of these. And Ezra was mad. He was angry. He had every right to be. Samuel took his chip. And so then, Samuel started doing something even worse, he started eating his chip while staring at him. <laughs> so I did what every good parent does. I was like, Ezra, it's fine. I don't want to deal with him because then if I deal with him, then I'll have two erupt. So I'm just, Ezra, just have all these chips. Look, all, you have all of my chips. You have more chips than what you had in, in, the, in the front end. He wasn't interested in my chips. He was interested in justice. And so... <laughs> Samuel was like almost through with his chip, like there was this much left in the chip. And I took it from Samuel and I gave it to Ezra, vanished. Problem solved, <laughs> justice was served. Homeboy Ezra just wanted his chip that was taken from him. How often do we do that when people wrong us, when people take stuff? Y'all, this life is not fair. My kids are learning that, but I know that a lot of us in this room are experiencing very unfair circumstances right now. Dealing with loss, dealing with disappointment. Life is not turning out to be the way that you wanted it to be. But you know, God did not promise a fair life. He promised us his spirit that will comfort us and bring us peace that is outside of this world. And fairness won't come until Jesus comes back and makes all things new. But what we do have in our anger, we have an outlet. We have an outlet because anger is normal. There is human sin and then there is this godly sin and this godly sin, oh, sorry, there's human anger, which is sin. And then there is godly anger, which is not sin. And that anger is righteous anger when someone is wronged, when someone is being taken advantage of. Jesus got angry when his house, when his father's house was defiled. Jesus got angry when kids were being swept away. Jesus got angry when the vulnerable were taken advantage of. And it is that anger. He, he got angry when there was this, this self-confident, self-righteous spirit that he was dealing with. And it is this anger 
that is okay. And we need to just know how to guide it. There's this verse or this chapter in Psalms in the Old Testament. It's Psalms 139. And it's one of the most beautiful quiet, calm. I mean, it's quoted anytime we have a baby dedication or stuff like that. I'd love to read some uh, of this, and then I'll read the quick plot twist that we have in verse 19. So this is Psalm 139. You'll be familiar with it when I start reading. You have searched me, Lord, and know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my beds in the depths, you are there. For you created my end most being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Where I count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. That's Psalm 139. Beautiful. Verse 19. It'll be on your screen. Oh God, if only you would destroy the wicked. Get out of my life, you murderers. They blaspheme you. Your enemies misuse your name. Oh Lord, shouldn't I hate those who hate you? Shouldn't I despise those who oppose you? Yes, I hate them with total hatred. For your enemies are my enemies. This is the word of the Lord. (laughs) David, the author of the psalm, is angry with righteous indignation righteous anger. But here's what I want us to take because these next couple of verses teach us what to do with our anger. David writes, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. What do we do with our anger? Let me tell you what not to do. We don't post on social media. That is not the word of the Lord, but it's close. We don't build a team and say, hey, let's get angry together and then overthrow this person that is in the wrong. We don't do that. We go vertical. We go to God first. And we say, Lord, before I move, let me express how I'm feeling and he's about it. Exhibit A, Psalm 139. And then... Ask him to search. Where does he start? He doesn't start with his life. He doesn't start with his soul or body. He doesn't start with his mind. He starts with the heart. Search my heart, Lord. And then my mind. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. And then point out anything in me. Point out anything in in the way that I'm living. Point out anything in, in my relationship that offends you. And lead me along the path of ever lasting life. It's right there. That's how we survey our life. That's how we demo the things that are not of God. And then we rebuild our lives by going to God in our anger. Worship man, you can come back up. James 1, 19. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen slow to speak and slow to become angry for because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. You're angry. Something causes you and me to be angry. And a lot of us do have a lot of that stored up 
in here. And what I want to do as we close, this is his house. I want to put this to action, Psalm 139. I want to ask God to search our heart, to test our thoughts, to point out anything that offends us. I also want us to just release to him whatever we may be holding on to, because this life isn't fair. And you know, Jesus knew that better than anybody else. But when he was on the cross, when he was suffering, not for anything he did, but for all the things that you and I did, he didn't point fingers, quite the contrary. He said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. That's the Savior that we call Lord. That's who we get to call on and ask to heal and restore this in here. And so as we close, if you don't mind standing to your feet, if you're comfortable, as we pray, I want to ask you to just lift your hands this way in a posture. It's just a posture. It's just a symbol of your heart to ask God as we release our stuff to him, to, to ask God to give to us his peace, to give us his direction, his counsel, and his grace so that we can leave out different the way that we came in and as we continue to build our lives this way. Let's pray.